Okay, everybody, good evening and welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. My name is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, and uh, it is session number 113 of uh, uh, Exploring the Lord of the Rings tonight. Glad to be continuing book two, chapter one, which is now, I believe, by far the longest we've spent in any chapter of the book so far. And we've not even gotten to the super long poem. So uh, that that is a record we are going to be building on, I think, still for some time. Um, uh, <clears throat> so, okay. Um, great. Just making sure everything is running. I think everything is running. Okay. We're good. All right. Um, so... Uh, yeah, just wait till the Council of Elrond. We probably will break the record uh, uh, within the immediate next chapter, but <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, but I, I, if I'm counting correctly, I think this is session number 20 on just this chapter, and we've not even gotten to the poem. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's see. Um, so... Uh, JJ, yeah, I think uh, finishing the Council of Elrond by the end of 2021 seems reasonable. Yeah, I think that that's definitely a reasonable goal. Um, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, okay, so um, one quick note I wanted so uh, two quick things I want to do before uh, class starts. First, just a couple quick announcements. Um, the main thing I wanted to mention there is just that we are... Um, uh, coming up now on our first two moots, I've been mentioning these, but registration is open for both. So if you're thinking about coming, I uh, definitely encourage you to sign up. And those are our New England moot uh, in Amherst, Massachusetts, and our uh, middle moot out in Waterloo, Iowa. So uh, if you wanted to sign up for those, go to signumuniversity.org slash events, and you'll be able to find pages for both of those with the registration links there. Uh, so you can sign up now uh, for either one of those. It's going to be a great time. I'm looking forward uh, to coming to both. This is our first New England moot, uh, and it will be our, um, it'll be our second, um, uh, no, third. Sorry, it'll be our third Middle Mood, our second time back up in Iowa. So uh, that's going to be great. Excellent. Yes, I saw your sign up today for Middle Mood. Uh, that's very cool. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I always it's one of the things I, I, I always get. I always have gotten from the very beginning of Signum uh, email notifications for like every time anything happens. So, like, I see all the course registrations. I see all the uh, the moot registrations and everything come in. That's why. Uh, a lot of people have been are kind of surprised when I when I go to regional moots and I meet people for the first time. Um, like you guys are like celebrities to me because I've been seeing your names all over the place, right? Not only uh, you know in like the, our, our actual class sessions, but you know on class lists and donor lists. And every time somebody makes a donation, every time somebody uh, does. Um, any of these things, you know, signs up for a moot. Uh, I always see it come through. So um, it's uh, uh, you, so you guys are totally famous in my world. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, oh, hey, Matt Violinus, I can answer your question. Cause we've been talking about that. No, I don't think so. Um, at least they're not going to have to buy tickets anyway. Your kids, it'll it'll be good. Uh, <laughs> but anyway. Um, Cool. So the the those are the two, so again, New England moot and the, I should mention the dates. The date for New England moot 
uh, is the 29th of September. So well, that's just over a month from now. And then Middlemoot is going to be a couple weeks later on October 12th. So Sunday, Oct- uh, September 29th uh, for New England Moot. Saturday, October 12th uh, for Middlemoot. Um, excellent. Okay. Um, so, oh yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention, there have been some people, there have been some discussions, some like desire, I think, for a little bit of clarification on what is and is not allowed um, in uh, uh, in the um, uh, chat room. So this is... Uh, um, uh, um, yeah, sorry, I'm getting like messages from people here. Um, yeah, so... Um, uh, what, how to handle the chat room? Because sometimes you will, you know, people who are participating in our Discord chat room will receive reminders like, you know, not too much side chat and everything. Let me just explain. So, the when I'm doing these class sessions, it is always my desire to do, um, you know, to have you guys be able to participate live, um, and the Discord chat works best instead of just using the Twitch chat. I do monitor the Twitch chat throughout the session. Um, but I am, um, but I'm definitely, I, I'm primarily looking at the discord chat and that's because there's no gap in discord. Uh, there's no lag that is to say, you know, so I don't have to ask a question and then wait like 15 seconds for people to be able to answer it. Um, so I'm paying primary attention, uh, to the, to the discord chat now. So the problem is, there's a bunch of people in the Discord chat. So if you guys get to, like, side conversations, like going back and forth on conversations that are, like, tang- only tangentially connected to what we're discussing in the class session, then I'm, I lose the actual comments that people are making that are relevant to what we're talking about. Um, and so it just it makes it hard. And I don't want to have there be, like, too much dead time while I'm, like, looking over and scrolling through and trying to figure out... I don't want people to think that this means, like, you can't ever, like, make a joke or say something not completely serious. I enjoy that kind of interaction in the chat as well. And I've been doing this for many years, so I'm pretty used to being able to sift through what's over there. Um, But uh, I know JJ is expressing some shock that they're allowed to make comments that are relevant to the discussion. This is news, and I understand. Um... Uh, so anyway, um, it's just, I, yeah, so basically what you need to think of your, you know, uh, uh, Discord screen probably looks like mine, right? Just keep in mind, I would love to be able to just kind of glance over and see the comments that people are making so that I, I can kind of maintain the flow and everything without having to, you know, so, somebody makes a comment and it gets washed, you know, downstream by people having a totally separate conversation and everything like that. That's all. It's just a little bit of consideration. I can roll with a lot of things. Um, but, uh, try not, if you do, and I don't want to discourage, of course, side discussions, if they spin off and everything, that's totally fine. But there are other chat areas in the discord channel that you can go to, uh, for that. That way, you know, we don't have to, um, it doesn't distract. So that's all. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, exactly. There's moderation in moderation. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it, Mike. Um, good. Good. Okay. So, that's good. Let's get back into our discussion. Let's get back to Bilbo and Frodo here. Um, tonight, 
I called tonight's class The Further Adventures of Bilbo because we're going to hear from Bilbo on what he did and what happened to him after he left the Shire. So what's Bilbo been up to for the last 17 years? And more importantly, how has his perspective changed? Right? How, you know, what what's what's different about Bilbo? Again, as we mentioned last time, he is the only person that we know of, certainly the only person that we meet, who had the ring and has given it up, you know, who owned and owned it for decades, right? And claimed it as his own for decades and voluntarily gave it up. What's that like, right? What does that do to him? How does that change things? Um, remember, Frodo and Gandalf had that exchange about it back in chapter two. Frodo asking with some concern, he would, he would be all right, wouldn't he, right? And Gandalf reassuring him he felt better already, right? And he thinks that he would, uh, that Bilbo would just kind of go on and be fine, right? Um, but of course, nobody really knows. Gandalf doesn't really know. Um, uh, now, Gandalf knows a little more than Frodo because he has seen, you know, at that time, remember, it's already been time and he's been seeing Bilbo. So he's not speaking with no information at all, of course. But again, long term, nobody really knows what this is like. So we're going to. Uh, be looking here at Bilbo's conversation, at Bilbo's perspective, and see what we can learn uh, about um, about Gollum. Uh, Gollum, because you're referring to Gollum, and now I'm thinking about Gollum. Uh, to see about Bilbo's point of view. Um, now, uh, Blad the Inspirer uh, had a couple. A, a brace of really great questions uh, about last week's session. So I wanted to I wanted to start with those. Um, uh, first, all of Bilbo's words and actions in this scene seem totally consistent with an old retired man. However, there is, as far as I can tell, zero reference to how old Bilbo actually looks. Not even something as simple as he looked older and more careworn like we got when Frodo saw Gandalf in Chapter 2. This is conspicuous for two reasons. First, we, wouldn't Frodo take special note of how Bilbo looks, given that they were so close and haven't seen each other in 17 years? Second, whether Bilbo looks older or whether he doesn't appear to have aged a day, in either case, it should be worthy of note. In Chapter 2, even Gandalf was uncertain about what would happen to Bilbo after he parted from the ring. He said he might live on for years, quite happily, just stop as he was when he parted with it. Maybe I am reading too much into that line, but I always believe that Gandalf was speaking, at least in part, about Bilbo's physical appearance. So why don't we get a physical description? Should we assume that Bilbo's physical appearance has changed to match his old man behavior? Or, since the narrator makes no mention of it, should we assume that Bilbo still appears to be the same age he was before? Is it possible that Bilbo looks much older now, but Frodo as narrator doesn't want to comment on it directly, out of respect for Bilbo? Okay, uh, Blad, really glad that you brought this up. I caught myself, I can't remember whether it was last week or the week before, but I caught myself about to say that Bilbo looks older, right? Um, but then, I, but I caught myself because I remembered at the last second, no, wait, hang on a second, the text doesn't say that, right? Um, Bilbo looks older in the movie, right, when Frodo gets to Rivendell, and that's how I had always imagined it, too. But Blood is absolutely right. There isn't the first mention of how Bilbo looks. We know that Bilbo is going to become very aged when the ring is destroyed, as one would assume, right? 
But to me, the real, the, 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 the clearest question is, does the power of the ring to, you know, the, the, so the, the, his youth, right? Bil- Bilbo's continued vigor, right? Um, uh, is caused by the ring. It's caused by the power of the ring. However, he is, um, um, is that power gone when he gives it up and thus he's going to age or is he, um, going to age only when the ring is destroyed right now? I think the evidence would seem to suggest that as long as the ring is in existence, what it did to him to sustain him is going to stay. The evidence of this is Gollum, right? Gollum's like 500 years old, right? Um, he, if without the power of the ring that gave him longer life, he is going to die, right? Die into the dust, as he said. He realizes this when Precious goes... I, you know, so he knows. He knows that if the ring is destroyed, he is going to die. Now, it is true, um, JJ, that Gollum never does give up the ring. So Gollum and Bilbo aren't exactly the same case, right? Because one voluntarily gave up the ring and one did not. So that doesn't necessarily. So that suggests they may not have the same kind of ongoing relationship with the ring. Um, well, we know they're not going to have exactly the same ongoing personal relationship with the ring, uh, but uh, but even their sort of metaphysical relationship with the ring, right, uh, is likely uh, is likely going to be different. Um, so, yeah, Mike, it is kind of spooky action at a distance, sort of keeping them going, right? Uh, I, I think rather than um, rather than think, but so. While at the same time we know that the, pa- the 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 continued existence of the ring is enough to carry on keeping Gollum alive, right? On the one hand, we also know on the other hand that there is a change in them. Even Gandalf even suggests, even concludes that Gollum himself has improved since he no longer has the ring, right? The ring is no longer eating at him, and he's. Uh, like more vigorous he's 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 less shriveled now than he was and bilbo felt better right away as soon as he gave up the ring again big difference because he gave it up and gollum did not but still um gandalf implies that in some ways um uh gollum has sort of improved um yeah so it's it the the evidence is a little bit um uh ambivalent, really, right? We know that to some extent their reliance upon the ring will have changed, will have ceased, but in some ways we know for a fact, given Gollum, that the ring's power is going to continue to sort of bolster them up. Um, Yeah. um, Yeah, Mad Violinist, I agree. It is an interesting thought experiment. How long would Gollum have gone on living if the ring had been lost again and not destroyed or returned to Sauron. Yeah. So, like, you know, because we have that, you know, thousand, you know, millennia gap, right, between, you know, when the ring was just lost. Would Gollum live for 3,000 years if, you know, 3,000 more years went by with the ring at the bottom of a river somewhere? Um, You know, I think that that's... um, 
I can't imagine that that's true. I can't imagine that the ring, because if you think about it, that's, I mean, I, I, I saw it, spiritual cushions that you were joking about, you know, the, ama- the amazing anti-aging trick uh, that Sauron doesn't want you to know, right? What amazing anti, uh, uh, you know, uh, solve aging, aging with this one simple trick. But seriously, it's like a loophole. It seem it would seem like a loophole to immort- free immortality, right? Immortality without slavery. Just possess the ring for a while, like a decade-ish, right? Give it up and then be functionally immortal without becoming a wraith, right? I mean, oh, all of the benefits with none of the costs. I, I can't imagine that that's how that works. I, I don't think that... Uh, free immortality is really what it works here. So, um, Bruinier, I really don't know what would have happened. Like, if the ring were destroyed without Gollum falling into the lava, would he have collapsed into dust right there? I wouldn't think so. But I don't know. I mean, what would happen to a 500-year-old dude? Like, we know the wraiths go away, but their bodies are long since gone. Um... Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, I, I, it's, I cannot imagine that it's that the, 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 you know, the post ring possession, mortal ring bearers get free immortality. Logically, um, they, uh, um, They logically there has to be some continued aging. I think once they no longer have, uh, um, once they no longer have the ring. Story past. You're right. Yeah. Sorry for the spoiler about the destruction of the ring. There. Um, I know we're, we're like uh, twenty years early on that. Um, but um, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just, the, the evidence is really hard to sort out here because um, it does seem pretty clear in some ways. I mean, Gollum is a, is, a, is, a, is a really good data point in that, you know, he's the one whose life has already expanded several times his normal span. So the fact that he's carried on and he has carried on for a significant amount of time. Right. As Mad Violinist points out, it's been 78 years uh, between there's 78 years between Gollum's loss of the ring and the destruction of the ring. Um, and Gollum still does, I agree, seem to be in that sort of improvement cycle, right? Uh, that Gandalf talked about until the very end, but that seems to be, uh, you know, sort of starvation and, you know, deprivation as much as anything else. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, I, uh, um, Yeah. So clearly they don't die, you know. So what do we know? Let's just kind of back up and think facts here. The ring's ability to extend life past its, you know, to 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 spread that butter over more bread, right? Continues as long as it's in existence. 
that only stops when the ring stops. So Bilbo catches up, right? Gollum's going to catch up and become dust. Is he going to look like the guy at the end of the last crusade? I don't know, but he's, um, he's definitely going to, uh, um, it's going to catch up with him. Right. Um, if with, with, and Bilbo is a clearer example, right? Bilbo is 128 right now. And when Frodo gets back, he's caught up, right? So he, he was 50 when he got the ring and he was 111 when he gave it up, right? So if he's froze, functionally froze at age 50 or slowed down to, you know, let's say, I don't know, maybe those, uh, you know, the 60 years he had the ring, uh, you know, count for what? I don't know, a few years, right? Um, I don't know. But anyway, he's still 50-ish, right, functionally, when he gives up the ring. And it's only been 17 years since then. So if Bilbo looks like 67, then he would not have changed very significantly, right? But by the time Frodo comes back from the quest, he's going to look 128, right? So we know that the, the, the aging right, is going to accelerate after, um, after the ring is destroyed. I do assume this kind of has to mean Gollum would at least just die. At the very least, Gollum is going to drop dead. Is he going to go through, uh, you know, a really excellent special effects desiccation process like the dude at the end of the Last Crusade? I don't know. But he's certainly going to drop dead at that point. Bilbo catches up very quickly. And I don't necessarily know, like, was that overnight? Did that happen? Like, the ring goes into the fire, bam, and Bilbo's like, whoa, now I'm 128, right? Or is it just that he's aging super quickly? Is he still, you know, when Frodo gets back, does he still not look a day over 110 or something, right? And he's still, he makes it to 131, right? I don't know. Uh, that's a little bit unclear to me, too. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> Ambrose is really honest. I'm not sure about extending the butter metaphor there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not really sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm. 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 I'm I could be with the ran the rancid butter idea, but it's. It's changed. And Mad Violent, exactly. I was thinking, too, by the time Frodo sees Bilbo after the destruction of the ring, it has been like six months. So there is time for him to have rapidly but progressively aged between the destruction of the ring and uh, uh, and when they meet again there. Um, uh yeah, Bricktails. Tithonus, wasn't it? The uh, the lover of Aurora, who uh, got older and older and ended up becoming a, what, a grasshopper or a cricket or something like that, I think. Because he was given immortal life but not eternal youth, right? Classic loophole situation. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now, Matt, I think that that's a really fair comment, that in some ways we should perhaps not even, like, aging is not even necessarily... One way to think about this, perhaps better, 
uh, Matt, in exactly that way. Um, the aging process, the normal aging process, um, is the way that in most mortals, the life and vitality goes from full to empty, right? That's a medieval idea that, you know, your life is like when you're born, you're like a big, huge barrel of beer. Uh, and then when you're born, they open the tap uh, and the tap runs continuously throughout your life. And when the barrel's empty, you're done, right? That's kind of that metaphor I'm borrowing from. I'm pretty sure it's the Reeve uh, in the Reeve's prologue in Chaucer. Um, but um, anyway, so that, that concept of now again, and so normally the process of the diminishing of that natural force of that vitality, right? Just is normally plods along year by year uh, uh, with the aging process. But Matt, I think you're right. That process has been tampered with, right? That process has been, it's not like Bilbo is going to resume normal aging at any point. Exactly. Right. Um, his vitality is going to be going down maybe at different rates, but to try to equate that with normal aging isn't right. And as Matt points out, Gollum is in this way, a pretty weird example. Um, he's not had the ring for 78, but he doesn't look old. He looks shriveled, right? He looks withered. He looks, um, uh, bug-like, spider-like, of course, as Sam is going to observe at a later point. So, he uh, so again, it's not like he's getting more and more like you know white haired and white bearded and wrinkly, right? He's just it's that lack of vitality, that draining away of his life, uh, is manifested in different ways. He does look old and feel old sometimes, right? And of course, in that one moment when Sam, when uh, well, the readers, not Sam, tragically, um, will be able to see that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so it's true, JJ, we don't know for sure that that isn't how the fathers of the fathers of the stores naturally aged. It's possible, but still, I'm going to assume that's not necessarily it. Um, anyway, yeah, so, um, uh, oh, there we go. Spiritual cushions with the quote from the Rhea's prologue. There we go. As many a year as it passed hen, sin that me tap of leaf begun to ren. For sickerly, when he was bore anon, death drock the tap of leaf and let it gone. And ever sith hath so the tappy run, that almost all empty is the ton. The stream of leaf now droppeth in the chamber. That's it. That's the passage I was thinking of. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. Um, but anyway, I think that, um, I think that Matt's comment is really helpful. Um, because it's tempting to think about this to try to, I know it's tempting to me to try to quantify this in mathematical terms, right? Like, what is the aging rate compared to, you know, is, is, is Bilbo aging but at a diminished rate? What's the rate of aging during, you know, the possession of the ring compared to the time after the ring while the ring is still around compared to after the destruction of the ring? As if we could have just, like, find the different variable, right? Or the different multiplier that we could apply in order to, to quantify the aging process, right? It's, it's tempting for me, anyway, to kind of think about it that way. But I think that Matt's right. That's probably misleading, 
that's probably not exactly how it, it might be a kind of you know heuristic sort of approximation, but I don't think that that's exactly um, how it works. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so exactly, exactly, mad violinist. It correlates. You know, like age will correlate with the kind of vitality that the ring, you know, extends or distributes or whatever. Um, but um, but there we go. Anyway, but now all of this discussion, and we're not getting a lick closer necessarily, I think, to answering Blood's question. As I said, I always pictured that Bilbo was older when uh, when he got there. I was I was I was pleased when Peter Jackson made that choice because that's always that that matched how I'd always pictured it too. But I agree with you, Blood, that if if he looks old. Right, if he comes and he looks 128 all of a sudden, hard to imagine that the Frodo or the narrator would not comment on that at all. Right, if he suddenly looks aged, it looks like he's aged. You know, I mean, what he would have looked like he's aged 70 years in the last 15. Right, that has to have be commented on. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily true that he doesn't look a day older. Right. Frodo, I don't think, would necessarily expect him to not look at... So to me, actually, the one case in which would fully justify it's not being particularly mentioned um, is because there's a third option, Blad, uh, between those two. Or in addition to those two, perhaps I should say. Not that he hasn't cha- looked a day older, and not that he suddenly looks 70 years older, but rather that he looks 15 years older. Right, that he looks as much older as he would expect, based on you know when he since he saw him last, he doesn't look ancient, he doesn't look identical, right? Um, and so he doesn't really um, he doesn't really comment on it. Yeah, storied past. Thanks for reminding me. I saw your comment uh, on this question on the discussion board. It is possible that the sort of atm- atmosphere of Rivendell has some kind of an impact on this, not necessarily on Bilbo's aging, but on this sort of perception. Storied Past's theory was that, um, you know, people just kind of look, you know, bright in Rivendell, you know, that it's just uh, it's um, just not really something that you sort of notice. I think that that's... Um, I think that that's possible, um, but uh, but I don't know. I think... Um, I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering correctly that Bilbo is going to be older uh, when um, uh, when we come back at the end. So uh, I think that it's not necessarily Rivendell messing with either um, the um, with either the people's aging or necessarily the perception of the aging. Um, but um, yeah. Um, Yeah, Mad Violinist says Smeagol was very young uh, when he first took possession of the ring, so adding 78 years to his apparent age might be possible after he lost the ring. Yeah, I'm also not convinced that he's absolutely frozen. Bilbo has appeared not to age since he got the ring, right? He still looks 50 uh, at 11 right? Um but I'm not sure he would necessarily still look like the same 50-year-old hobbit at the age of 500, right? 
Um, we know that Gollum didn't look. I mean, I you know, I, I don't know what the father of the fathers of the stores looked like, but I don't think Gollum is necessarily a representative sample. Now, exactly, Mad Violinist, he's altered, right? He's been twisted. He's been warped by the ring. Um, so again, it's not just an age thing. It's not just a mathematical thing. It's not about the progression of um, uh, the progression of 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 time or, you know, the impact of the progression of time or anything. It's about... The ring is doing stuff to him which goes beyond... The mere apparent freezing of the aging process is only one manifestation of the stuff that the ring is doing to you when you possess it, right? Um, And it's only one part of the whole story. Um, Anyway. um, So, yeah. So, my current theory is that Bilbo looks about 17 years older or so. You know, so he looks older, but not radically, radically older. Um, b- though, to your very first comment, Vlad, about uh, his actions seeming consistent with, like, 128-year-old Hobbit, right, snoozing there in, uh, in, um, uh, in the Hall of Fire, I think part of that is his attitude, right? Um... That is the kind of uh, the kind of saltiness that he has towards Elrond, right? The kind of a lot of that is just about, and he's he still is 128 years old, right? No matter how he looks, um, so the fact that he acts like a 128 year old shouldn't be really surprising, right? Or not snoozing, Mudmore, right? He'd be probably going to quite possibly not asleep, um, but anyway, um, so. I think that there's a kind of uh, disjunction. Remember, Bilbo himself talked about it, right? And to Gandalf in chapter one, I may not look it. I'm old, Gandalf. I may not look it, but I'm beginning to feel it in my heart of hearts, he says, right? So Bilbo's an old man on the inside, in any case, whatever he looks like on the outside. So his actions being consistent with the actions of 128-year-old, no surprise, right? That makes sense based on what we know. Um, okay. Oop, blood second question. Uh, during session 112, it was briefly mentioned that Gandalf and Elrond probably wouldn't have wanted Bilbo to uh, send in any messages to Frodo. It was best for Bilbo to make a clean break. He was the first person ever to give up the ring, and there was no telling the extent of the ring's lingering effects. If that's the case, which I think it is, is it not strange that Bilbo has been spending so much time near Frodo? He was sitting by Frodo's bed for days, no more than two feet away from the ring? Would Gandalf and Elrond have been concerned about that? Would they have made sure to keep an eye on him, or am I overestimating how much they were thinking about this? Finally, one side question. When Elrond reveals Bilbo to Frodo, should we be picturing everyone gathered around and watching them? I'd never thought about it before, but based on the last uh, lesson, it seems like at least Frodo's friends and possibly Glowin might have been watching. Um, okay. First, uh, 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 first part first. I do not think uh, that uh, I don't think that you're overestimating how much they're thinking about this. Um, I cannot imagine that it would not cross Gandalf's mind to be concerned about Bilbo being alone in the room with the comatose Frodo and the ring right there. Possibly even depending on how he's lying, peeking out you know, uh, uh, over the, the collar of his shirt, right? Um, yeah, 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 and JJ, yeah, Sam is there. I, 
I feel that it is fairly safe to speculate that Bilbo was never alone with Frodo. We know that he sat by his bedside. We also know that Sam was there, and I don't see any reason to think that Gandalf isn't there either, and sometimes Elrond as well. Um, I, um... Yeah, Mad Violinist and Rayburns were both at the same time saying, pretty sure it wasn't Bilbo that they let put the new chain <laughs> on the ring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, no, I, 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 I don't think that that's... Um, overthinking that at all. Um, I think there's, there is definitely reason to be concerned here. Um, uh, storied past, I think I saw you post on this one too, uh, recalling, of course, Smeagol and Diagol, right? I mean, it's, it's not completely outside the realm of possibility that, uh, Bilbo could become overcome with the pat, with the desire for the ring and could at least steal it from Frodo. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's not impossible. It's clearly not impossible. And I cannot... Yeah, exactly. Mad Violina says, look, a handy pillow. Oh, dear. Right? I mean, yeah, no. Uh, seriously. Um, it's clearly a very real possibility. I cannot imagine that Gandalf would not have been... Um, would not have been concerned about this. Right? Um would just have been like, oh, yeah, no, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. Um, uh, so, But I agree with you also, JJ, they're not going to make a big deal out of this, right? Um, what I would, how I would, do, you know, if I were telling that story in more detail, um, you know, if I were depicting that uh, on film film or something, what I would do is have Gandalf and Elrond agree that one of the two of them is always going to be there in the room when Bilbo's there, right? Sam, of course, is going to be there and, and can... Uh, but I don't think that Gandalf would even want to put Sam in that position, right? What's Sam going to do, right? If Mr. Bilbo decides to try to pick up the ring, he's going to know that Mr. Bilbo shouldn't do that. But was he going to stand up to Mr. Bilbo? That's, that's put Sam in it. He, he's going to defend his master. You know, he's certainly not going to let Mr. Bilbo smother Frodo in his sleep. But, like, if... Uh, if if good old Mr. Bilbo says, oh, I just want to look at it for a second, is Sam going to be like, no way, you know, man, back off. Like that's, um, um, that's, a that's a hard spot to put Sam in, I think. So I would imagine that I, I, in, in, in my own sort of thinking through of that scene, I would imagine that Gandalf and Elrond pretty much agreed. One of the two of them was always going to be watching, I think, but they're not going to say anything to Bilbo. Um, yeah, yeah. And I do agree, JJ, that Sam's presence would also probably bolster, help to bolder, bolster Bilbo's resistance to any temptation uh, to do anything bad. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yep, yeah. So, so, oh yeah, or possibly... Glorfindel or Strider? Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I they wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't have to be necessarily only one of the two of them personally, though I wouldn't think they would talk about this with very many people, right? Um, but still, yeah, no, I I think that Bilbo has to have been chaperoned. Um, uh, we get too much direct evidence that Gandalf is uh, is concerned about Bilbo and Bilbo's further relationship with the ring for that. Um, okay, yeah, and Matt, I'm hoping to get to that. Well, probably not tonight, but at least next week. 
Um, absolutely. Uh, okay. So anyway, but as to your second question or third, depending on how we're counting, um, when Elrond reveals Bilbo, should we be picturing everyone gathered around and watching them? Yeah, I kind of think so. I mean, everyone. I don't know if absolutely everyone is standing in a big circle, like a big circle on on the playground. Um, but yes, I do. We don't get that described. But that's not surprising. I mean, the narrative perspective stays pretty close to Frodo uh, during this whole section, right? And we know Frodo is only noticing Bilbo, right? Literally everyone in Rivendell could be standing around and applauding and Frodo's probably not going to notice, right? He's going to be focused on Bilbo. So uh, the fact that nothing is said about it does not, to me, necessarily prove that there's nobody else watching. We know Elrond is, right? Um, We know Sam is right at hand, right? Because he's going to be popping up with with, uh, contributions to the conversation uh, later on, too. Uh, so, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do think that, um, I, like, would, uh, would Glowen not be there, right? Would, are Merry and Pippin nearby? I would think they would have to be. You've got, Merry and Pippin know that Bilbo's there, right? Um, and they're gonna know that this is the moment when the surprise is being sprung on Frodo, right? So I can't imagine Merry and Pippin aren't there. Um, it's, um... Um, it's got to be, uh, it's got to be a thing that they're interested in seeing, right? So, so yes, my, I, I do imagine, again, not necessarily like a wall of people, like they're on stage or something, but I, I, I do think that there is a cluster of people, including Frodo, Sam, or, you know, Sam, Mary, Pippin, uh, Elrond, Gandalf, uh, maybe even Gorfindel, uh, certainly Glowen standing there. I've, I, I've absolutely got to think there. I think that they, um, they leave them soon, right after they see the reunion, right, and and there's that joking exchange between uh, uh, Elrond and Bilbo. Once, uh, you know, Frodo and Bilbo start to talk, I think that everybody politely lets them talk uh, by themselves, right, knowing that they're going to want to catch up. Um, but but yeah, for the moment of reunion. Um, I definitely think. Um, yeah. Evil Dr. Cannon says, I'd be surprised if there weren't some level of focus on what Elrond is doing the entire time he's in the Hall of Fire. Um, yeah. I mean, you got to think there's a certain amount of attention that follows him around. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Great questions. Uh, uh, so let's, uh, let's move on here to Bilbo's comments about what he's been doing. In the meanwhile, Frodo and Bilbo sat side by side, and Sam came quickly and placed himself near them. They talked together in soft voices, oblivious of the mirth and music in the hall about them. Bilbo had not much to say of himself. When he had left Hobbiton, he had wandered off aimlessly, along the road or in the country on either side, but somehow he had steered all the time towards Rivendell. I got here without much adventure, he said, and after a rest I went on with the dwarves to Dale, my last journey. I shan't travel again. Old Balin had gone away. Then I came back here, and here I have been. I have done this and that. I have written some more of my book. And, of course, I make up a few songs. They sing them occasionally, just to please me, I think, for, of course, they aren't really good enough for Rivendell. And I listen, and I think. Time doesn't seem to pass here. It just is. A remarkable place altogether. 
Yes, Ambrosius Aurelianus, this is the first direct foreshadowing that we have of Balin's fate. Um, we had Frodo's question to Glowin, where were the others, right? What happened to Ori and Owen and Balin? And uh, Glowin's polite refusal to answer that question, right? So um, some sense of that something has happened, we've gotten. Um, this is the clearest information we've gotten about what that actually was, right? That Balin actually went somewhere, and presumably we don't know what happened to him. Um, yeah. I could not, I cannot imagine that Bilbo didn't... I mean, so it says that he went to Dale. Um, I have to think that that means he went to Erebor, too. I can't imagine he went to Dale and didn't visit the Lonely Mountain as well. Um, I, um, in one so I don't take that as him saying I went to Dale, but I couldn't be bothered to enter the mountain. Rather, the thing that strikes me as interesting is that Bilbo refers to instead of saying I went to the mountain, he says I went to Dale, right? Um, so just the fact that he characterizes Dale as like the landmark that he went to. Um, is uh, is interesting, I think. Um, I don't know... I don't know exactly what to make of it. Um, in some sense, I think he... Uh, <laughs> Rayburn says he went almost there and back again. Yeah. Uh, in one sense, I think perhaps Dale is the biggest change since he was last there. I mean, they've done much in Erebor. I don't doubt that the inside of the mountain looks very different, but, um, uh, but, um, but Dale, remember, remember that Dale was not only, you know, totally ruinous, but it was part of the desolation. In fact, you may remember in The Hobbit um, that that was one of the things that made Bilbo really sad, right? He, he looking down on the valley where Dale was and hearing Balin tell him about the merry town of Dale filled him with particular sadness, right? So in some ways, I think um, it um, might reflect Bilbo's own focus that like the, the real highlight to him was seeing Dale rebuilt, right? It is possible, J.J., that the mountain itself holds painful memories um, of Thorin, right? Uh, you know, that he still associates it with Thorin and doesn't want to talk about that. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Matt was just suggesting a similar thing. Seeing the mountain in Thorin's tomb might have been uh, too much of an emotional thing to talk about, at least certainly in this kind of context. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, so it's also possible that Dale, since Dale is the center of the new sort of larger kingdom and the mountain is just kind of within it, right? I mean, the, it's a, it's an independent, you know, you've got the king under the mountain there in, in, uh, in, in Erebor, but everybody thinks of that land. If you're going to go to that land, it's Dale, right? And Erebor is within Dale, right inside the boundaries of Dale, um, you know, and the, the, the domain of the Bardings. Uh, but, um, you know, that you, you would think about going to that country as going to Dale. Uh, that is also, um, 
that is also possible, I think. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. Um, I have done this and that. I have written some more of my book. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, chapter one of The Lord of the Rings is what he's written uh, in the time since uh, he's been here uh, in Rivendell. Um, yeah, and of course, I make up a few songs. They sing them occasionally just to please me, for of course they aren't really good enough for Rivendell. Um, this is him being... Uh, being humble? Yeah, Mike, I wonder too. So Mike is saying when he was a boy, he took Bilbo's self-deprecation literally. You know, they aren't, they aren't, aren't good enough for, Riven, for Rivendell, right? I'm, I've been here writing subpar poetry, right? Uh, and he says, now I suspect the elves delight in his songs and he knows it. Yeah, yeah. Um, they sing them occasionally just to please me, I think. His self-deprecation might be honest, but I certainly don't think it's the whole picture. I certainly don't think that the situation really is that um, that Bilbo writes poetry, the elves find it kind of embarrassing, but they're like, well, you know, we like pleasing the old hobbit, so let's sing some of these kind of embarrassing songs occasionally to keep him happy. I don't think that's actually the situation. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that he, he probably does feel that his poetry is not quite, uh, good enough for Rivendell, um, not really meeting Rivendell's standards. I can imagine him actually believing that on some level, but I think he's also... Uh, Mike, as you suggest, and a Druid's Fire, as you're saying, uh, proud of his poetry as well, and even cheeky, as we're going to see. Um, so, yeah, I think that he does, to some extent, though, feel that way, but I certainly don't think that, uh, Mike, that that's the real story. Um, I think, I do think that the elves delight in his poetry. Think about Strider's reaction when he learned through Sam that Bilbo had translated the, the Gogolad poem, right? Um, you know, he, uh, he's like, oh, Bilbo, he, he must have translated it. I never knew that, right? Um, I think that the elves and others are interested in Bilbo's work. And they have to be, I think, fascinated to see the these elvish songs, right? These elvish tales being translated and retold by a mortal, right? By Bilbo, by a hobbit, of course. Not just a mortal, but a hobbit. The only hobbit that they've ever really known very well. Um, yeah, elvish-inspired hobbit poetry is kind of a new thing. And if it's, even if it's not their native genre, you've got to think that they are, that they are interested in it. Um... So, yeah, Tora Marthen, that might, might be so. Bilbo's poetry is too hobbity to exactly color match Rivendell. Perhaps so. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yes, uh, 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 WKU, I agree. During my most recent reading, he says, I've gotten the impression that the elves enjoy his poetry but can't help but feel that part of their enjoyment is the novelty of a hobbit creating poetry about their world. Exactly. Um, And of course, the thing that I can't help but remember is the Book of Lost Tales. Right? Remember that the premise of the Book of Lost Tales, the original version of the Silmarillion stories, is a mortal man visiting Elvenholm, right, hearing the stories from the elves about the First Age, and then retelling them, translating them into his language, which is, of course, Anglo-Saxon, and bringing them back to the world of mortals, right? That idea is still operative. That's what Bilbo was doing. That's how Sam knows the poem, right? He has been, he has come, and has been dwelling among the elves in Rivendell. He has learned from them. He has... um, uh, translated many of their works into his language and brought that language and, and that translation um, has become the vehicle for the continuation of those stories, the propagation of those stories within the mortal realms. Exactly, Bruinier. The Silmarillion is Bilbo's translations from the Elvish. Yes, exactly. So the modern Silmarillion and the old Book of Lost Tales have that in common. I mean that's that that's that concept I think is still is still there. He's no longer translating the whole Silmarillion into Anglo-Saxon anymore, Tolkien isn't. But but it's the same it's the same essentially uh, essential idea. Um and so yes, I have to think just as the elves in the Book of Lost Tales are interested in Ariel in in Ariel's interest, right? Uh, and uh, and his desire to take that back to his world. I think that they're interested in Bilbo. Even if they thought Bilbo's poetry was quite bad, which I don't think they do, because I don't think it is, um, but if they, even if they thought Bilbo's poetry was quite bad, they would doubtless find it very interesting, even just as a, a, a way for them to understand uh, the sort of mortals better. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Matt says, there's also the value elves seem to place on artistic expression in general, much like the Silmarils having value because they're wonderful sub-creations. The same would be true of Bilbo's poetry, new expressions of the wonder of Arda. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't think the elves, when the elves love, their love for artistic expression, their love for uh, for sub-creation, I don't think it is premised only... I think if we understand that only as them having, like, a refined taste, right, or, like, really high artistic standards. Uh, I like art, but only super good art, right? If you're just messing around and making really bad art, I'm not going to like it. And believe me, I've been around for millennia. I know good art when I see it, right? I don't think that's the elves' perspective at all. I think that Matt's exactly right. I think that an elf would be fascinated in and delighted by a very crude piece of artistry in whatever uh, uh, medium, right? A very crude piece of artistry done in exactly that way, Matt, which is the work of a sub-creator who is expressing his wonder, his or her wonder, at at, at Arda, right? I think that the elves would delight in that, um, regardless of how good it was in some kind of abstract... um, 
some kind of abstract sense. And JJ, you're absolutely right. Tralalalali isn't exactly high art, right? We know that their standards of art are not astronomical, right? Um, we have some pretty firm evidence that they are more interested in the expression of wonder and delight at Arda than they are in, you know, so, so yes, if we are, if we imagine the elves of Rivendell or elves in general as, you know, sort of, you know, esthetes, that's, I think, pretty clearly wrong. Um, yeah, exactly. Gamador was saying the same thing. Tralalalali, not the work of people with extremely refined tastes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, good. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree. So, no, but that either Bilbo does not himself see that, or again, see, I know several of you were suggesting that, um, uh, that Bilbo, like, humility is unusual, is a, sort of an unusual posture for Bilbo. Yeah, but I would say, like, also a lot of the sort of more cheeky and, and uh, uh, kind of uppity things that Bilbo says, I think he's joking, too. Um, and this, when we're talking about his poetry, right, I, I think he's going to talk about his poetry a little bit differently. Um, I'm trying to think of any time in which we ever hear Bilbo boasting about it. Um, I, yeah, um, I don't, we know that he loves poetry and he's liable to trot it out. Everyone at his party is afraid he's going to start quoting poetry at them. Right. Um, so it's not that he, he's not shy about it, but that's not the same thing as being proud of it or arrogant about it. He has a desire to share it and he teaches it to Sam. Right. And all this kind of thing. So, you know, it's 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 not he's not um, the kind of poet who's unwilling to have anyone see or hear what he's done. Um, but that's not the same thing, I think, as that's not the opposite of humility. Um uh, not, I think, not at all. Um, yeah, Belongsmont says uh, an arrogant poet might not translate someone else's work, right? You know, that in some ways his work of translation is, uh, is itself uh, almost or something like a humble undertaking uh, on its own. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Kyle, he's definitely comfortable with his love of poetry and unashamed of that fact. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Good. Um, uh, Vermont Hobbit is asking, says, I wonder if the elves singing his work has the same effect that theirs does bringing imagery to mind, etc. Uh, that, that, that enchantment, right? If you're going to be transported and enchanted and find yourself, you know, like you're inside the poem. Um, we'll see. We will get a chance. We will get some data on this, right? Uh, but not tonight. So we'll come back to that, Sarah, uh, when we hear uh, Bilbo's poem. Now, again, we won't get direct data because we're not hearing elves sing it, right? Um, but, uh, uh, 
we'll come back to that when we talk about the errantry poem. I mean, you know, Arundel was a mariner, is what I mean by the errantry poem. Um, if you don't know what I mean in calling it the errantry poem, don't worry, we'll talk about that. Um, okay. Hey, I have an idea. Let's do another slide. I hear all kinds of news from over the mountains, out of the south, but hardly anything from the Shire. I heard about the ring, of course. Gandalf has been here often. Not that he has told me a great deal. He has become closer than ever these last few years. The Dunedon has told me more. Fancy that ring of mine causing such a disturbance. It's a pity that Gandalf did not find out more sooner. I could have brought the ring here myself long ago without so much trouble. I have thought several times of going back to Hobbiton for it, but I am getting old, and they would not let me. Gandalf and Elrond, I mean. They seemed to think that the enemy was looking high and low for me, and would make mincemeat of me if he caught me tottering about in the wild. And Gandalf said, The ring has passed on, Bilbo. It would do no good to you or to others if you tried to meddle with it again. Odd sort of remark, just like Gandalf. But he said he was looking after you, so I let things be. I'm frightfully glad to see you safe and sound. He paused and looked at Frodo doubtfully. Um... Okay. Um, sorry, I just noticed, uh, I, I, I remembered at the last second, well, a little bit past the last second, one of you, and I'm forgetting which one of you it was, was asking about a word that I skipped. Aimlessly. When he had left Hobbiton, he had wandered off aimlessly along the road or in some country or on either side, but somehow he had steered all the time towards Rivendell. Um, Aimlessly, I think, literally just means he did not have a name. He did not have a destiny. He wasn't going to Rivendell. Like, it wasn't his plan. He, when he set out from home, he didn't have a destination in mind. He was just... Je uh, Jez, that's right. It was you. Excellent. Um, uh, so, you were asking... Um, is you were struck by that word... Um, Bilbo is without the ring, leaves the Shire bereft of his precious. This could perhaps leave him feeling somewhat lost, not forlorn, but steerless. That is so... There are two potential readings of this, I think, of the aimlessness of his initial uh, 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 journeyings. That... I'm not going to say that doesn't work, because that does work, right? Here's Bilbo, you know, forlorn, alone, uh, aimless, shiftless, like, not having any goal or any purpose left, right? He's left the ring behind. It's not that that doesn't work. It's not that that doesn't hold together, right? But there is another reading, which is, of course, just that he's indulging himself completely, right? That he is enjoying the journey so much, the fact of traveling, the fact of being off again, off on the road with dwarves. That's his goal. That's his destination. Um, not to have a plan, not to go there and back again. He's only been on one journey in his life, and his one journey was focused. He wandered about a bit on the way to and fro, but still he had there and back again, right? Now, so and, and there's an interesting kind of parallel there, right? Frodo sees the contrast between his own departure from the Shire and Bilbo's, right? Bilbo went to find a treasure there and back again. I go to lose one and not to return, as far as I can see, right? So Frodo feels that he is going off wandering aimlessly, 
right? Just trying to escape not, with no destination, no goal, other than just to stay alive and prevent the enemy from finding the ring. That's his initial concept uh, when he agrees to, to keep the ring uh, and to leave the Shire. Um, Bilbo's is um, uh, Bilbo's journey seems to be like a, I think that Frodo's vision brief sad vision of what his journey is going to be like is a really interesting contrast to Bilbo's which is almost exactly the same thing he also is not and this time going to go on a there and back again journey he's going to go and not come back again he's going to wander about in the wild with no goal and no destination except he's going to love it every minute of it right this is what he's looked forward to um so uh so yeah i i definitely um um yeah uh, Doward, that's interesting. Or sorry, Arden Crown, who is quoting an uh, uh, Arden Crown for me, who said, "Isn't that similar to the way Gandalf described Gollum's wandering, aimless but always drawing closer to Mordor?" <sighs> yeah, except uh, Crown, I would say that Gollum's wandering was never aimless. Um, he was looking. He was hunting for Bilbo and the Ring, right? Um, so he always had not a destination per se, but a goal, a definite goal. Um, Frodo's wandering would also be with a goal, uh, just a different one, to evade the enemy, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, either of those would work, and yes, exactly. Uh, uh, who is that? Sorry, I couldn't catch your name there on Twitter. Um, which Twitter comments are still like 90 degrees rotated for me, so I have to crane my head to see them. But yes, pursuing it with eager feet, right? That's the everything that we get from him at the end of chapter one. His his happiness, his joy, his delight at being off on the road, his the, the eagerness of his feet, right, to set off on this journey suggests to me that his aimlessness is not of the sad and depressing kind. Uh, but of the happy, uh, uh, seizing delight in every step of the journey kind. Of, uh, uh, kind. Um, and certainly, I do think, uh, Matt, that he always kind of knows that he was uh, going to Dale. The fact that he's off on the road with dwarves. Whatever Bilbo's intentions may be, the dwarves, I'm pretty sure, have a destination in mind. They're from Erebor, right? They came with supplies for the party, they're going home, right? Uh, they doubtless do indulge Bilbo in some wandering by the way, right? They, I'm sure they don't go home to Erebor by the most efficient route ever traveled between Hobbiton and Erebor. Um, but they have a destination in mind, definitely, if Bilbo doesn't. So even, again, Bilbo's statement off on the road with dwarves implies that when he, le- when he made arrangements to leave... Um, again, it's not a coincidence that he's leaving in the company of the dwarves, right? So it does, to me, imply that his plan all along was eventually to end up going back to uh, to Dale. Um, but um, he would very likely want to see uh, uh, some other things along the way. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, JJ, I am sure the dwarves uh, would see the stone trolls as a landmark, landmark worth seeing. Absolutely. Um, definitely part of their history, too. Certainly, certainly. Um, yeah, so so that and that's my sense of aimlessly, just in that he... He he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a purpose. He's he's enjoying the wandering here. Um, okay, good. Anyway, so back to Bilbo's comments about Gandalf and hearing news. Um, the fact that he ha- that Bilbo has not been hearing news of the Shire, I think, cannot be a coincidence. I think that he. Uh, uh, it's not just neglect, right? Or like, well, we all consider Shire News boring. Gandalf has been there, right? But if you think about it, Gandalf has been there infrequently since Bilbo's party. And when he has been there, he has often come by night, had a brief conversation with Frodo, looked at him penetratingly and creepily, and then left, right? Uh, so Gandalf's really only interest in the Shire over the last 17 years has been on Frodo's well-being and the influence that and the impact that the possession of the ring is having on him and that is exactly what Gandalf is not going to talk to Bilbo about so it is uh fairly clear or fairly understandable that is why Bilbo has not heard much in the way of news about the shire um so the dunedon has told me more so and he has he has become closer than ever these last few years. Um, so, uh, Blad the Impaler, this is the first of several points I think that we can see on this slide that really points to, uh, it gives us additional evidence that Gandalf is taking the issue of Bilbo's continued relationship with the ring very seriously, right? Gandalf has become closer than ever these last few years. He is not telling Bilbo anything about the ring. He's not telling him his speculations. His... Does Bilbo know that his ring is the ring of power? Is the one ring? Is Sauron's ring? Does Bilbo know that his ring was Sauron's ring? I don't know that he does. I don't see any evidence to believe that he does. Um, he says, fancy that ring of mine causing such a disturbance. How do we, how do we read that, right? Um, I, uh, I am not convinced that we must necessarily read that as him saying, like, wow, I had no idea. Like, to think that my old ring was Sarah's ring of power. Like, who knew, right? Uh, no, the disturbance that has been created by his ring is the fact that the Nazgul are after it, right? Um, and have been pursuing it. Um, there is hobbitry involved there, Mad Violinist, definitely. There's definitely hobbitry involved there. Um, that ring of mine, right? But see, I don't even know. Fancy that ring of mine causing such a disturbance. Um, has Bilbo talked to Glowin, JJ? He must have. He must have. Uh, I, yeah. I can't imagine that Glowin hasn't told Bilbo. Maybe if he were specifically told not to. Um, does he know about the messenger? Um well, hang on. I'm thinking... I think we'll have to wait for a bit to see this, but I think we're going to get evidence in the Council of Elrond that Glowen has not told him about the messenger, about Bilbo's being named by the messenger. Um, I suspect that um, 
Bilbo that Glowen has been told not to talk about that yet, even even to Bilbo. Um. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um. So. Yes, Galandar, I agree that Bilbo suspects that information is being withheld from him. Yes. And I think he knows why. Um, he must retain a memory of the experience of giving up the ring. He has, I think, not forgotten the events of Chapter 1. Um, uh, I think that he knows that there was something unhealthy going on with the ring, right? Um, Gandalf has surely... Um, Gandalf has surely reassured him that Frodo's fine, right? I- I'm sure he's gotten that much news. Um, but, um, but yeah, Mike, he's decided not to be bothered by it. That seems fair to me. Um, The tone of the sentence, fancy that ring of mine causing such a disturbance, is obviously, is hobbitry in the sense of the, the, the light tone of the sentence, right? Causing such a disturbance, right? That ring of mine being this sort of, you know, very sort of sliding way. Now, several of you are pointing out, and it is very true, um, the fact that he still thinks of it as that ring of mine, right? Yes, we can see he still thinks of it as his own ring. Um, he has not given up possessing it in his heart. That seems pretty clear. Um, he still thinks of it as his ring. Now, that's a figure of speech which, you know, like it's if you give something of yours to somebody else, you might still refer to it that way, right? Um, without asserting, a, you know, a claim or implying it should be given back, right? Um, meaning nothing other than that ring that I gave to you, right? Um, but, but yes, does this suggest that there is still uh, some possessiveness issues in his heart? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Mike, that is a perfect example. I still think of, um, I still think of the car that my son is now driving as my old car. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, good old Bill, uh, good old Bill, the Toyota Corolla will always be Bill, my Bill, right? Uh, even though now my son is driving it 15 years later. Um, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, good, good. Um, <laughs> Kyle says, looking back, I can now see the influence that, that the couch that I gave to my cousin, uh, uh, has on me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I don't think one thing that I would say is I wouldn't go too far in being alarmed about his using the phrase that ring of mine. Right. Um, it's there's all kinds of explanations for it. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's, you know, still actively, you know, asserting his rights to it or something. Like, it's not. It's this is a very. It should be a very background thing, right? Is it a little bit telling? Yeah, I think it's a little bit under the circumstances. I think it can help it be, but I don't think it's seriously alarming. Um, but again, fancy that ring of mine causing such a disturbance. What does he mean? 
by such a disturbance. I don't think he's characterizing... Now, say, I, I don't think he's characterizing like the War of the Ring and Sauron's desire to um, uh, uh, seize his one ring back for himself as a disturbance, right? I, again, I d- does he know? I don't know that he knows. I'm not sure he knows. Would he know? Would Gandalf tell him? Um, Gandalf has not told him a great deal, and he's become closer than ever these last few years, i.e., since he learned the truth. Gandalf's only known the truth for a little while, right? He's only It's only been in the last few years that Gandalf figured out that this was the Ring of Power, and since Gandalf learned that it was the Ring of Power, he's been closer than ever, right? So I really don't think... Um, that he knows... I don't think that he needs to know that it's the One Ring in order for him to say these things that he says here, right? Um, uh, Fancy that ring of mine causing such a disturbance. It's a pity that Gandalf did not find out more sooner. I could have brought the thing here myself long ago without so much trouble. What did Gandalf find out that Bilbo knows about? Find out that it's the One Ring? That might be what he means, but it might simply be that the enemy is looking high and low for the ring, right? Which is what Gandalf or Bilbo will will explicitly say um, uh, here. Um, yeah, so he knows that he knows that the enemy is searching for the ring. Um, he's probably not being told why, or maybe he is. And I'm, I'm not asserting definitely that he's not. I'm just not wanting to assume. Because the one thing that we are being told is Gandalf isn't telling him much, right? Um, uh, so, yes, uh, Matt, I agree that Bilbo has also been reading lore in Rivendell, right? So, you know, uh, how ignorant exactly is he going to be? Um, I don't know, but it is clear from the next two the next two sentences that the disturbance uh, that he's referring to um, is the pursuit of Frodo, right? The, the the search of the enemy and the hassle with the Nazgul on the way in, right? Um, I could have brought the thing here myself long ago without so much trouble. I have thought several times of going back to Hobbiton for it, but I am getting old and they would not let me. Gandalf and Elrond, I mean. Um, they seem to think that the enemy was looking high and low for me and would make mincemeat of me if he caught me tottering about in the wild. There are several things, um, there are several things that are challenging to parse here. Um, Mike, I agree with you. This, this thought several times is much more troubling than the that ring of mine comment. Um, that ring of mine does not necessarily reveal too much. Um, his thinking several times of going back to Hobbiton to fetch the ring in is more concerning, and especially more concerning to me because it shows exactly the same kind of rationalization that we see the ring doing to people, right? That kind of rationalization, oh, that, you know, the ring the enemy is looking for the ring and it needs to get to Rivendell so that it would be safe, well, then maybe the sensible thing would be for me to go and fetch it, right? I mean, who better? 
um, I know the way, right? I can easily do it. Uh, uh, you know, Frodo would give it to me. Uh, so there we go. Um, uh, so Mad Violinist, that's my thought about why he would be thinking of retrieving it. Um, I think that he's rationalizing that, like, he gets the fact the enemy's looking for it and it needs to be kept safe. So where safer than Rivendell? Who better then to get it than me? Let's not put poor Frodo to any trouble, right? He doesn't want to leave the Shire behind. Let's let him stay in the Shire. It would be a self-sacrificing act on Bilbo's part, right? Right? It would. Totally would. Let's take this burden off of Frodo. The enemy's looking. I left this ring. Also, remember, he's got to feel some responsibility, too, right? I I bequeathed this ring to Frodo, and it turns out Sauron is looking for it. I mean, yikes. Talk about your bad inheritances, right? So I got Frodo into this trouble. I'm going to get Frodo out of this trouble. So I'm going to go back. I'll just pop back to the Shire. I'll visit Frodo. I'll take the ring back uh, because he doesn't want it. Certainly now that, like, the enemy's looking for it, right? That thing's worse than radioactive. So, and then I'll bring it back to Rivendell, which is where I live, right? So, you know, I'm the one who knows Rivendell. I'm the one who knows the Shire. This is all, right, really, um, it makes all kinds of sense, right? All kinds of sense for Bilbo to make that argument to himself, but I cannot help but think that it's a rationalization. That there is also, of course... Um, but I don't think it's... When I say it's a rationalization, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like, insincere. I'm sure he means this, right? Um, I, 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 I think he means this, but I do also think that, obviously, he desires to get the ring back for himself. Um, so several of you are asking, is this a long-distance ring-induced monologue, right? Um, uh, storied past, as you were saying. I can't think so. I cannot think that the ring is acting directly upon him across the miles. It's actually a really interesting... It's actually a really interesting um, case, isn't it? Because this kind of rationalization does sound exactly like the kind of rationalization that Frodo does. What this implies to me, we've been talking about looking at the... looking at the the way that the ring influences people, right? Um, scrutinizing the general question, how active is the ring? How sentient is the ring? Is it aware of what's going on? Is it making plans? Is it exerting its power uh, deliberately, sometimes more than others, right? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, now, it's true that now the ring is right there. Yes, absolutely. The ring is proximate to him at this moment. Um, but I think the story that he's telling here, it's certainly about how he felt previously, you know, in the last few months, um, and presumably accurate to how he felt at that point. Um 
One way that we could interpret this is that even the ring-induced monologues, even the, 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 the direct temptations, what seem like direct interactions between a ring-bearer and the ring, or even a ring-desirer like Boromir and the ring, right, um, is not necessarily a two-way interaction, even though the ring is right there. Right? Is it just, in a sense, the idea of the ring? I don't know. Um, yeah, good. Yeah, Mad Violinist says, he keeps coming back to chronology here, uh, Gandalf could not have told Bilbo about the ring after he verified its identity. He never got back to Rivendell until three days before Frodo got there. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, you're right, Mad Violinist. I wasn't thinking that through carefully enough. Under the circumstances, it's impossible that Bilbo knows that it's the One Ring. Elrond didn't find out that this ring was definitely the Ring of Power until recently. Well, now, no, no, but hang on a second, Mad Violinist. He... Gandalf would have come through Rivendell on the way to see Frodo to tell Frodo. Right now, again, he still had the final test to make. But you gotta think that Elrond and Gandalf had that conversation on the way out, when he was on the way out to see Frodo, and was like, okay, so I'm like 98% sure that Bilbo's ring is the is the one ring, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna do the fire trick when I get out there, right? But, you know, let's act on the premise that this is uh uh, that this is the Ring of Power, right? The One Ring. Um, so I've got to think that Gandalf has had time to tell Elrond his discovery of Isildur's words uh, down in Minas Tirith when he comes back from his research trip, right? And then heads out to the Shire. So Elrond... But Elrond, even Elrond, will not have learned of the confirmation until just now, because as we know, Gandalf's movements... Right when he leaves Frodo, he ends up going down to Orthanc and then getting imprisoned and then galloping straight up to uh, the Shire. So yes, uh, it has only been in the last few days that Elrond himself has learned the confirmation that the ring is 100% definitely the One Ring. Um, uh, so, and yes, Mad Violinist, uh, Gandalf's lack of communicativeness when he came through on the way to the Shire, would definitely afford Bilbo the opportunity to discover that Gandalf has become closer than ever. And one can easily imagine him sort of exaggerating that. He has, been, he has become closer than ever these last few years. Um, might easily be understood to be sort of a way that he would characterize that without being too overly precise about that. Perhaps as Gandalf's own dark suspicions have been increasing and his at least premonitions of the coming danger and suspicions of the ring have happened, that he has become closer and closer, right? You know, just telling Bilbo less and less. Uh, Mad Violence, I think it's also possible that when... Bilbo says he's become closer than ever these last few years. He means these last 17 years. Ever since the party. Gandalf has become closer than ever. He's known Gandalf for a long time, right? In the whole space of his knowledge of Gandalf over most of his life, um, 
for him to say, yeah, ever since my party, Gandalf's been like, Mr. I refuse to say anything to you about the ring, right? Or anything else I ask about, right? So it may, it, it may be as broad as that. Um, but yes, anyway, Mad Violinist, thank you for reminding me about Gandalf movements, because you're right. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, there is no way, no way that Bilbo can possibly know for sure that his ring, you know, that, that ring of his was the one ring. Um, it's got to be, it's got to be, I mean, it's, it's got to be a mystery to him. He can't, he can't know. Um, he certainly will have told Elrond since he came back, like in the last couple days that they've been there. Um, certainly before they did the delicate ring, uh, 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 re fitting, right. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, as, uh, you know, consulting Elrond as his physician, Certainly. Tarlonio asks, does Bilbo know that there is a One Ring? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, um, yeah, I don't really know. Um, yeah, yeah, Galandar says there is no way Gandalf would have communicated anything about the Ring to Bilbo in the years during which his suspicions were slowly building. Yes, Gandalf's own description of that process and how he talks about Bilbo when he's describing that to Frodo clearly implies that he never told Bilbo that there was anything to be worried about. Why would he? Um, so, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm realizing that I think uh, that sentence where he says, it's a pity that Gandalf did not find out more sooner. Um, I, th- I think I've always sort of uncritically assumed that Bilbo meant find out that it was the One Ring, right? But it's clear he cannot, cannot possibly have meant that. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, well, I don't know, Rinroos, maybe... um, Maybe he knows that there was a One Ring. Yeah, exactly. The One Ring is a Second Age thing, right? Which is totally modern history, which is not Bilbo's bag, right? So, uh, so yeah. It, but but yeah. I mean, the that lore is not generally known lore, right? Um, so yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think it's common knowledge, even among people who go in for history uh, necessarily. Um, I think, WKU, that when um, when Bilbo says, I'm getting old and they would not let me, uh, Gandalf and Elrond, I mean, um, I do not think that that means that they were forthright in why he couldn't go. Um, I am getting old and they would not let me. Um, he explains why they wouldn't let him. They wouldn't let him because they seemed to think the enemy was looking high and low for me and would make mincemeat of me if he caught me tottering about in the wild. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Mike, that's a wonderful question. He says, you know, all this raises a question I've never asked before. Exactly why does Bilbo think Frodo is here? Right? Um why has there been a disturbance in the first place? Well, the one thing that we know here that he says he has been told. So the one thing we know for sure uh, that um, 
that Bilbo knows is that Sauron is looking for Bilbo. Does this mean that he has been told, Bilbo has been told about Gollum's capture? That Gollum revealed, you know, Shire and Baggins, and that therefore the enemy is looking high and low for him? I would have to think that some kind of explanation like that would have to have been forthcoming to Bilbo, right? Because if you know, he said, they seem to think the enemy was looking high and low for me. Why would they think that, right? I mean, that takes a lot of believing, doesn't it? Right? I mean, if you're Bilbo and Elrond is like, oh yeah, you can't leave because Sauron personally wants you dead and is hunting you down. I mean, seriously, if you're, um, um, if you're Bilbo, you're going to be like, oh, whatever, right? Like, how did Sauron and Mordor hear about me? Right. What I, even I don't think so highly of myself that I think, you know, I um, I'm only a little person in the wide world after all, Elrond. Come on now. You know, like, yeah, sure. I, you know, I played a significant part in that whole Erebor thing. But like, why on earth is Sauron looking for me? Um, so it's some sort of vendetta over Smaug. Yes. Like, I have sworn an oath that I shall pursue to the death the person who said the stuff overheard by the thrush who then told it to Bard who slew the dragon, right? It's all his fault, right? I, yeah, no, that doesn't really seem to hold water. Um, <laughs> Sauron heard his poetry. <laughs> he must die. Um, <laughs> I like that. Um, but, uh, Anyway, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so, so, Mad Violinist, uh, you're saying that uh, um, if they told him about Gollum, how do you obfuscate about the ring? I don't think you do. Because again, so, initially, he is told, you can't go. You can't leave. Because Sauron is looking for you. Strange as that may seem, Sauron is looking for you. Why is he looking for me? How on earth would he be looking for... How on earth would Sauron of Mordor know that I even exist? Uh, answer, Gollum... He, 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 Gollum ended up in Mordor. Uh, and he, he lodged a complaint. <laughs> right? And now Sauron has heard of you. Um, obviously, that leads to the fact that, like, if... <laughs> assuming that Sauron isn't, you know, altruistically interested in restoring to, to Smeagol his rightful property, um, Sauron obviously must be interested in the ring. But again, it's clear that at least by now, he knows that. He knows that that ring of his caused the disturbance. He knows that Frodo was pursued by Nazgul to the to, uh, to the uh, to the Fords and stabbed and almost brought into the Wraith world. He knows that that's because of the ring. He knows this. He knows that his ring caused the disturbance. That doesn't mean he knows why. He knows his ring is a magic ring. He knows magic rings are very special. Uh, he may know that Gollum, that Gollum came out and looked for his ring, is not going to shock Bilbo can't shock Bilbo, right? Uh, he's going to remember Baggins We Hates It Forever uh, too clearly for him to be surprised that Gollum came out to hunt for him. That he ended up in Mordor is sad and alarming. Uh, that he told Sauron Bilbo's own name and address would be even more alarming. Um, that Sauron would then want to find this ring of power, you know, this this magical ring can't be too shocking 
I think, right? And it wouldn't necessarily give away the game, right? Exactly, Mad Violinist. I, I think he knows that the ring is the cause of the hunt, but he doesn't know why uh, Sauron is hunting for the ring. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe S- Sauron is, I don't know, looking for magic rings, right? I mean, you know, that's he's just... He's interested in that kind of thing. Uh, maybe it has some other kind of importance. I mean, it, like that it is his ring of power, you know, his his one ring, which is like the crux of the entire survival of, you know, the world is not like the only obvious reason uh, for Sauron to be pursuing the ring. Um, so anyway, um yeah, exactly, JJ. It's perfectly reasonable to think that it could be the least of rings. Um, and just because it once belonged to Sauron is enough of a reason for him to want it back. He could have other um, other uses for it. Absolutely. Um, and uh, Coniferous Medusa, which is a fabulous screen name, by the way. Coniferous Medusa says, would Bilbo even question why anyone would want it? I would expect he would assume anyone, everyone would want it because he values it so highly. Yeah. I mean, it's really useful, right? Everything else aside, this is, that's a, what's one handy ring? Of course, Sauron's going to want that, right? Um, so yeah, no question. I, so I, I, again, I don't think that it, so Gollum escaping, Gollum coming out would not strike him as weird at all. Gollum being captured by Sauron wouldn't strike him as weird. Uh, uh, Sauron learning by torture Bilbo's name and address would not be weird, but alarming. Sauron's desire to get a magic ring like that for himself. Yeah, not out of, not, not, not bizarre. Not, I think, too strange. And certainly in as much as Bilbo is still influenced in some, to some extent by the ring, um, Again, you would think that that would uh, suggest to him that it, it would any any influence of the ring would tend to elevate its desirability in his eyes, and so therefore, yes, make him less likely to question um, Sauron's desire for it. So I have to think that that's Bilbo's point of view here, that he knows Frodo has come with the so Frodo has been warned by Gandalf, right? that Sauron is looking for the ring, right? Bilbo learns that Sauron is looking for the ring, and he's like, all right, I'm going to go fetch it, right? And they're like, no, he's looking for you personally, Bilbo. Besides, you're old and comparatively incompetent. You stay here, right? Um, And they'll tease him about it, and he'll tease them back, and it's going to be fine. And they're going to say to him, but don't worry about Frodo. Gandalf is going, and he's going to warn Frodo, and everything's going to be okay, right? Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, so yeah, yeah, this means, so keep this in mind when we are in the Council of Elrond, in the not too horribly distant future, when we get to the Council of Elrond, um, I think it's, it seems overwhelmingly likely that Bilbo will be learning that his, that that ring of his is Sauron's ring of power for the first time. Okay. Um, His speaking of the enemy looking high and low for me and would make mincemeat of me if he caught me tottering about in the wild is sort of characteristically joking and, and, and sort of, you know, 
self-deprecating, uh, make mincemeat of me. Um, which, of course, also I can't help but think of uh, of the comment from the trolls if they could find more hobbits and 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 uh, make them into a pie. Uh, <laughs> kind of makes me think of that. I don't know if Bilbo's thinking of that at this moment too. Um, and then his quote: "And Gandalf said, the ring is passed on, Bilbo. It would do no good to you or to others if you tried to meddle with it again." Odd sort of remark, just like Gandalf. But he said he was looking after you, so I let things be. I am frightfully glad to see you safe and sound. Um, so Gandalf, the one thing we know Gandalf has told him is that the ring has passed on. It would do no good to you or others if you tried to meddle with it again. So the question is, what, to Bilbo, makes this an odd sort of remark just like Gandalf? Um, what would he find odd about that statement? I think that he would find the word metal odd. What do you mean, metal with it again? Metal with it? I've never meddled with the ring. My ring, for crying out loud. My magic ring, I found it, right? Well, meddling. Uh, and if I were to go help Frodo out, it wouldn't be meddling again, right? Um, yeah. Uh, it would do no good to you or to others. That, I think, is also odd. Bilbo would be thinking, right, at least in his rationalization state, um, it would do no good to you or to others. It's like, no, the whole point is to do good to others. If I go back and get the ring, then Frodo's rid of it, right? If So if Frodo's shut of the ring and I'm bringing it back, um, then I'm doing good for Frodo, clearly, Right? Now I'm drawing the enemy to my, you know, target to myself and whatever. It's all good, right? That's not, um, uh, how can you say that it will do no good to others if I went to get the ring, right? So he doesn't understand, to some extent anyway, what Gandalf means when he says it would do no good to you or to others. Maybe he could understand how it would do no good to him in that he would be, you know, but again, you'd think he'd be like, it's still a slightly odd remark because he'd be like, well, duh, right? I mean, yeah, I, the whole point is this is a, self, a heroic and self-sacrificial act on my part, Gandalf, right? I know I would be drawing the danger to myself, right, and away from Frodo. That would be the point, right? Um, so in that sense, no, it wouldn't do any good to me in the sense that it would put me in more danger, but, like, that's, again, the point, Gandalf. Um, so... But certainly the not doing any good to others thing would be something that would be hard for Bilbo to understand um, without really understanding the impact of the ring. He would not understand the damage that he would be doing. To, if he showed up and said to Frodo, now after 17 years, give me back my ring, um, you know, that could end up in a throttling situation, right? One way or the other. Who knows exactly what would have happened had he shown up and Frodo had said no, or... I mean, yeah, like, no, it would have done no good at all. We know this. He can't possibly understand that yet. Um, but, um... Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> yes. 
Karina says that this sounds like a grouchy grandpa who really shouldn't be driving anymore, but really wants to go down to the corner store to pick up some beer and everybody is trying to talk him out of it without hurting his feelings. Yes, it is somewhat like that. But of course, the difference is um, that he doesn't understand. So partly he doesn't understand the, the damage. Right. He doesn't. But he knows. He has some knowledge, some recognition of the power that the ring had over him. Again, he remembers the weirdness of that last night and the difficulty of giving the ring up. He must remember that, even if he does not understand why that happened. We remember that he always attributed his uh, longevity to himself and not to the ring, never suspected that the ring was involved in that, right? He may also, therefore, attribute the difficulties with giving it up to himself as well. He might not blame the ring for that. He might not really have parsed the fact that that was the power of the ring working on him. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Laura, you're right. It might be frustrating for him to be the youngest person in this entire crowd and yet still be too old for everything, right? Here he is being like, you know, who are you elves to be telling me I'm too old, right? Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, That Gandalf says the ring has passed on would also be an odd sort of remark, right? Because... Um, again, Bilbo doesn't have the context to really understand the significance of that, right? Like, no, I passed the ring on. What do you mean? The ring has passed on. The emphasis in that sentence is, I think, not one that Bilbo's really going to be able to parse. Like, yeah, the ring passed on, right? So did that wastebasket, right? So did the so did the convex mirror. Those things passed on, too, because I passed them on, right? I, I, you know, so that's got to be Bilbo's frame of mind there. But Gandalf obviously means something other than that, right? Um, you know, <laughs> Gandalf means something other than no backsies when he's saying that to Bilbo. Bilbo's going to recognize that. He's going to recognize that, that, that Gandalf means something more than that. Um, but um but he's he's yeah not going to understand the significance of the ring has passed on as if it itself is the um you know doing the passing talk as as if speaking of its own agency its own relationship uh with people not people's relationship with it yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. The, the 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 peculiar emphasis that that sentence gives, right? It's not just people's relationship with the ring. I, you know, it's my old ring now. It's Frodo's ring because I bequeathed it to him. But it's about the ring's relationship with people, right? It had a relationship with you. Now it has a relationship with Frodo. Move on. It's passed on. Right. It's over you, Bilbo. Forget about it. It's over. Right. <laughs> the ring is so over you now. Um, and again, I think that that's another thing. That's that that way of thinking about the ring 
seems to be totally alien to Bilbo's perspective, or at least it was. Has that changed? Do we have any reason to think that's changed in the last 17 years? I don't really think so. And Belongsmond, you're right. He certainly does not understand the doom that he gave to Frodo. But he also... But he does know enough to know that it's a gift that put Frodo in danger. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's He knows that Frodo's been in danger because of it. But... Um, so, to some extent, he's like... He has some inkling of the fact that Frodo has come in for a spot of bother because of this gift that he gave him. Um, but he clearly doesn't understand the full context of that at all. Um, so, yes, Frodo knows way more of the ring than Bilbo. Bilbo had it for much longer, but Frodo understands much, much, much more of it. Um, yeah. Um, Yeah, good. Um, I agree with everybody who is still, again, still seeing the evidence of Bilbo's own attachment here. We know this to be true. This is leading up to, um, uh, this is leading up to his request to see the ring again. That's the next paragraph, which we don't have time to talk about tonight. But, um, uh, that's where he's going with all of this, right? So, again, I think that hearing that uh, in these whole last two slides looming in the background, perfectly relevant. Um, the last thing I want to leave you with uh, before we move on to his direct request to see the ring again um, is the last word, doubtfully. He paused and looked at Frodo doubtfully. Why is he doubtful in his look? What does that mean? What is going on in Bilbo's head when he is looking at Frodo doubtfully? Doubting that Frodo is going to say yes to the request he's about to make? Doubtful about Frodo's relationship with the right... I mean, what's he... What's he... What's he doubtful? Doubtful that it's a good idea to make the request that he's about to make? Um... Yeah, exactly. He's about to ask something that he knows somewhere in his heart is not good behavior or is not a good idea? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Um... Uh... Yeah, Matt, uh, Frodo hasn't been exactly safe or sound of late. Yeah, exactly. Um, doubtful. Is he doubtful whether or not Frodo, like, is Frodo well enough? Right? Is this, um, uh, you know, is this, um, I, I definitely think that his looking at Frodo doubtfully I mean, it is a fair question. I do suppose that we should start with the que- with the question of does the doubtfully is that forwards or backwards? That is, is it connected to the sentence before or is it a transition to the sentence after? Um, I'm frightfully glad to see you safe and sound. He paused and looked at Frodo doubtfully, like you are sound, right? I know you're safe now. Are you sound as well? Um, I'm a little doubtful. 
about that. Um, it's possible. It's possible. Um, but um, I, I, I have a hard time reading that as the primary sense of that. Um, I think that his... Because he pauses first. It's the pause which, to me, more clearly separates um, the uh, doubtfulness from the previous statement, right? Because he says, I'm frightful glad to see you safe and sound. And then he pauses. And that's when then the he looks at Frodo doubtfully, which is why I think that that's a lead-in to what he's about to spring on him next. Um, yeah. Um, doubtful about how Frodo will receive it? Is he suspicious now? So... In one sense, it could connect back with what he was saying. His initial proposition, his initial rationalization, I'll go back to the Shire, get the ring, and bring it back to Rivendell myself. That way Frodo will be safe, and the ring will be safe here, and everything will be fine. And P.S. I'll have it again. right? Um, but he's just quoted Gandalf as saying, it would do no good to you or others if you tried to meddle with it again. He says that's an odd sort of remark, does he have some suspicion what it might mean? Does he have some suspicion? So if he tries to meddle with the ring... Gandalf has just said, he quoted Gandalf, as saying that if he, Bilbo, tried to meddle with the ring again, it would do no good to others or to himself. And he's about to meddle, right? The next sentence is going to be him meddling with the ring. Um, so uh, is he doubtful? because he just quoted and is thus has fresh in his mind Gandalf's injunction, right, that it's not going to do any good to try to meddle with it. So he's doubtful. Am I going to... Is this going to be okay? Frodo has just been injured, right? He's just barely recovered. Is it going to harm him in some way? I can't see why it would. Is it going to harm me? Can't see why it would. My old ring, right, didn't harm me all those years. Why should it start harming me now? So he's... But he's doubtful, right? He knows Gandalf and trusts Gandalf enough that he's not just going to toss out Gandalf's comment, right? But he is going to wonder, going to doubt. This, this, this can't really be a it's no, it's no big deal, right? Clearly this couldn't be a big deal. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Well, next week we will come back and look at Bil when Bilbo uh, actually makes his move here uh, for the ring. Uh, teaser for next time. What Peter Jackson did with this moment in the film is very interesting and super memorable. Um I think that Peter Jackson gets it very wrong. Very wrong. Um, importantly wrong. I think that Peter Jackson's depiction of this, while I get it, and I think it was really interesting in a lot of ways, certainly very striking, I think it completely misses the point uh, in a really, really big way. Um, so that will... 
little 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 teaser that I think that we are going to see some ways in which um, I think maybe a lot of us have thought about this that passage. Uh, um, uh, you know, maybe, uh, uh, maybe inaccurately. So, um, <laughs> Karina says it may be wrong. However, uh, uh, you know, the GIF is super useful. So there you go. Yep. Absolutely. We all win. Agreed. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, very good. All right. So I'm going to, we're going to stop there for the night for our, our text discussion. We still have our field trip coming up. Uh, so I'm going to switch over to Twitch only. Uh, thanks to everybody who joined me on Twitter here so far tonight. Uh, and uh, feel free to join us, twitch.tv slash Signum U. Uh, and we will uh, continue with our field trip. Uh, and uh, we'll be back again next week for our discussion of the moment of tension between Frodo and uh, Bilbo there. So, uh, thanks everybody. Oh, there we are. Great. Good evening. Good evening, Valori, and thank you uh, Cecilia, I think you were here on the in the town tonight. Good to see you there. Okay, and we will um, all right. Excellent. Okay, and Fire Swans is here for the first live field trip. Very good. All right. All right. All right. Well, here we are in Landreval this evening, my home server. <laughs> the one server where I have mithril coins, so I won't need to use them. Um, okay, <laughs> and we're going to um, we're going to head back to um, Kellendim again. We've been yep. ruin expo- exploring ruins, piecing together the history of elves, dwarves, and men uh, in the Arid Luin region, which is archaeologically really interesting. Um, uh, really one of the most archaeologically complex areas we have been looking at in the game. Um, Angmar was also really cool when we were looking at the different historical yeah. strata of, uh, you know, of the Hillman and uh, uh, Angmarim society up there. That was really nifty. Um, Giant fish hooks. Yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, but, but this has also been really cool and in some ways more complex because although we were looking at different historical strata there in Angmar, we were looking only at two different cultures and they were both human cultures, right? We were looking at... Um, uh, at um the hillman know, and the yeah the hillman and the the angler and the Angmar. actual followers of uh of the witch With touches king. of numenor in there right exactly and and you know and definitely over different periods of time but here we're looking at the 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 very different cultures um uh of you know the 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 multiple historical layers of elves and of dwarves and i think potentially of humans as well. Um, Stuck in the door. (laughs) Holy cow. Hang on a second. How is it? Okay. So it's just Narnian who has not opened the Buckland. I'm just noticing that on here on Landreval, (laughs) I have a, I have a stable master unopened here from there, but I think, yeah. So Narnian never opened the Buckland one. Wow. That's, I don't think you've been in the old forest with Narnian. Yeah, probably at least not on this server. I guess I do. 
bounce around quite a bit with Narnian, so... That is funny. We haven't done really Buckland yet. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff well, there. We, we did talk about Buckland. We did, didn't we? I'm pretty sure we did. I don't know if we uh, no, did no, a yeah, no, we did. We, yeah, when we were in, like, the Conspiracy Unmasked chapter, we did Buckland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's when I was off because I had a it, baby. But we only were there for a couple of weeks, and it must have been on other servers, so... All right. Anyway, let's. So we're heading to Kalandam then? Or... Yep. Yep. And we're uh... going to head north here. Okay. All right. Let's just head out to the north. Um, so. We were looking mostly at what I was theorizing as an ancient temple. Yes, that was just outside of Gondaman, I believe. North of it, substantially north, though, way up by the way up by the mountains. Um, so not very near to Gondaman, but getting, you know, close to the, uh, you know, as far, almost as far west as Gondaman. Are you with a group right now, or did are you? Sorry, I I went on. I didn't know. If, yeah. I'm 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 going up the road. Oh, you're on your way already. I'm okay. on my way already. Yeah. All right. It looked like most people were there ahead of me. So. Sorry, I had some lag. <laughs> oh yeah, no worries. So yeah, I'm gonna go up to that temple again and start from there. Oh, the one that we saw, like Last I said, yeah. up there. All right. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Um. So there, speaking of historical strata, there we did seem to see what looked like a very ancient human burial spot, which was then made uh-huh. into a temple with architecture that looked distinctly Arnorian, but which did not have any of the symbols of Arnor, which would seem, yeah. therefore, to suggest that it was architecture strongly influenced by Arnor, but not actually made by Dunedain. That's about right. Uh, so, therefore, we that would probably have been third age, early third age, maybe. Um, yeah, I think we speculated that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the oldest layer could very well have been that first, um, that that first age group. Yeah, the first you know, coming of men. <laughs> yes, those those very first men who lived here, some of whom might have remained in that area after the rest of the Edain um, crossed over the mountains and first met the unfriendship of the Green Elves in Osirian on the other side. Um, that obelisk, the one that we were first looking at, yeah. My initial so speculation, yes, exactly, the green one. My initial speculation was that that might have been a first age memorial, but I I tend not to think so. Increasingly, I tend not to think so because the only things, the things that seem to be definitively first age human artifacts in this region, um, seem to be very crude and much more like the Barrow Down style. The, the first age men didn't really, from what we've seen, they don't seem to have the ego for that. They don't have the big need for the like, I'm giant make a big phallic representation. The, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, but they, it, most of their stuff circus is around rites, 
you know, just the right. stages of life, birth, death. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, right, R-I-T-E-S. I thought you meant like yeah, R-I-G-H-T-S, like fighting for their rights. Um, yes, yeah, no, no, didn't no, say right. the Soylent G. <laughs> exactly, right, yeah, the, the right, right, yes, burial and uh, the burial mounds are the primary thing that we have uh, of yes. those ancient men. Okay, so here's our, yeah. here's it, it our temple. It implies that. I'm sorry, it implies they yeah. built uh, things that were things that they had to stop work and do while the rest of their life right. was dedicated to survival. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, that makes perfect sense. Um, it's not surprising that this building does not look like it was a residence and we haven't seen many other <laughs> residential anything that looked like a residential ruin anywhere around here? Because again, why would you come and build your house in the middle of the ancient burial ground, which is obviously and still manifestly an ancient burial ground, but for them to come for them by, by them, I mean the probable third age uh, descendants of those first age people of the Adine, those who remained, would come here and build this temple out of respect for the ancient dead, among the ancient dead here. So this would be sort of the center of this memorial of the entire thing. And those people, the Third Age people who built this temple, them I could imagine building that obelisk that we were looking yeah, at. Yes, especially if it was uh, like uh, like the resting place of kings, for example. Some yes. place of, yes. of great importance. Or even if they just... speculate that it's the resting place of kings. Uh, yeah, who, who knows what they thought. You know? Yeah, yeah. Iron maidens and all that, you know. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so now so I'm continuing around the corner because we've got more mounds. That's as far west as we got last time. And I wanted to continue out both because we see more mounds, but also a new ruin over there. And I want to see what yeah. the new ruin is. Um, ah, Elvish. Yep. Obvious from a distance. And the party people Elvish one. Yeah, looks like. Seriously, elves? You built the party rotunda here? Like right next to the Barrows of the Dead? Maybe oh, they were here first. <laughs> That's kind of telling, isn't it? Hang on a second. What's up that cliff? Oh, that cliff? Yeah. That is a wooden fortress that the Dowerhands are occupying. Really? Okay, hang on. We missed that. I'll come back to the Elvish Ruin. How do we get up there? Yeah. Uh, you have to go down and around. Kind of a quest thingy. We, do we, no, 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 down here do, where the party place is. Oh, we do? Around that way? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Are we, are we looking at the same wooden fortress, or are you looking I at something so. else? I think so, yeah, with the wooden palisades uh, okay. up on the up on yep. the, the cliff over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To the, to the northeast? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we've got more go. mounds. These ones without... These are just very crude stones. We don't even get the marble obelisk and the little mini Yeah, these are worn the down or anything. Okay, Maybe. all right. So this is just yeah. very recent uh-huh. uh, Dower Hand encampment. As they're encroaching. Oh, yeah. And so this just works. So we, we work through here. To, I want to make sure that there's no ruins up on that shelf over there. I don't up on that think crack. so. I think it's pretty sparse. It's just these dead pine trees here. Okay. So I'm, I'm winding around. Can we get through? Yes, we can. That implies the wood for this fortress isn't very good if the pine trees around here have those orange needles. 
Right. Okay. Sloppy, sloppy work, boys. Looking for any evidence. Bunch of barrels. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I think there is a spooky thing here. Yeah, here we go. Okay. Spooky chimney. Oh. Uh, Zombie uh, factory. Uh, yeah, yeah. White factory. Um, uh-huh. That's interesting. Okay, but right now this is exactly the same model that we saw in the Brewlands. We saw that in the Lonelands. Yep. But although creepy, modern, creepy in a modern way, not ancient necessarily. I think this is responsible for the unquiet dead around here. Yes, for for the disquiet among the dead. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. And we've got another camp. I'm looking at the stones to see if there's... Yeah, no. Because this is a... This is a lovely view. And this is interesting, right? If you were... Like, this is a nice spot for a fortress right here. Like uh, if, yeah. If I were taking up residence around here, this is just the place right here on this shelf is where I would be tempted to build my tower slash keep, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Heck of a spot. Good view from here over the lands down to the south. Um, there is some water in that ravine, though. Highly so defensible. possibly the water levels were higher? Maybe. Wouldn't be this high, though. No way. We're yeah, the... but maybe getting here. Maybe the act of getting uh, right. here would have been enough. Yeah, well, still, you can... It just makes it all the more defensible. But, yeah, no. I mean, anyway, I'm just saying. This looks like a likely spot. But there aren't any ruins up here. So if there aren't any ruins up here, and this is such a lovely spot, then one of two things must be true. Either the Dower Hands obliterated them all, which I don't see any evidence of because they're not reusing stone or anything like that. So. There's absolutely nothing made of stone up here. Exactly. They're just using tents and, and wooden palisades. So, probably they didn't tear down any ruins, which suggests there was nothing up here, which in turn suggests that there wasn't anybody living here, right? The humans didn't live oh, yeah. here, uh, because again, like burial site, they're not going to be like, oh yeah, so the downside is we're surrounded by, you know, the mounds of the ancient <laughs> venerable dead, but the good side is it has a nice view, right? So I, 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 I can easily understand why the humans wouldn't choose to, to live here. They'd visit, but they wouldn't stay. The elves also are not going to sort of fortify this place either. That the dwarves also didn't is interesting. Notice, remember, we've seen no clear evidence of any ancient dwarvish activity. Um, Not here anyway. Not here anyway. Well, okay, no. Not quite true. So we've so far seen two different historical strata of dwarf architecture in Arid Lewin too, right? We've seen the new stuff, the Thorin and Company stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the Thorin not and Company yet, uh, but Thorin's people, the, 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 the harbor. Right, the harbor down by the river was made in Thorin's time. Oh yeah, Longbeard stuff. Right, Longbeard stuff. But we also got the uh, uh, what is it called, the what Wardspire, which was dwarvish yes. as well, but older dwarvish, not new. So that was not made by Thorin and company. So we have okay. some ancient dwarves who made the Wardspire, um, and also remember there were a few of those tower slash 
obelisk, whatever they were, things up along the top of the valley. Um, uh, they, oh, yeah, yeah. Which looked older, too, um, suggesting that perhaps Thorin's folks, Thorin's people, built the new um, the new uh, harbor stuff on the site of an older dwarvish construction. That's right. Conceivably. That's right. Um, it was a veneer. Right. But we don't see dwarves living around up here where, you know, you think that they might like it here. I mean, hey, the dower hands did enough to make their camp here. Um, uh, so you could easily imagine a dwarf, just, you know, a dwarf lord deciding like, yeah, this is this is a great spot. But they didn't, apparently, which suggests that they didn't live here either. Um, they would have been interested in that harbor area. They were watching the river, clearly. You know, m- making that Wardspire Tower down overlooking the river in what seems like a clearly sort of watchtower. Let's get advanced warning against the encroachment of, you know, Numenorians or whoever. Um, but they didn't necessarily live in this region. We've seen no other evidence of dwarvish occupation or construction anywhere around through here. Okay, so let's go back to that elvish place now. So I said yeah, the elves it- didn't live here, but we just saw an elvish ruin. However, we, you know, Valoria, as you were saying, we know enough now to see at a at a glance not only who built that elvish ruin, not only the fact that it's elvish, not only the historical era from which that ruin was constructed, but the probable purpose of that building in the first place, right? All of those Yo. things are pretty obvious at a glance now. Well, yeah, especially look at the dry riverbed. It would have been a beautiful, you know, cataract over the edge of the oh, valley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, it clearly would would have been a beauty spot, and we know what the elves like to do in these beauty spots, right? So, Part if anything, it implies that there might have been elf stuff on the other side, like maybe a picnic spot or something, whatever, right. that just didn't stand the test of time. You know, maybe avalanche or Oh, you or mean up on the, up on the like, ledge where we the, were? Up on the watchtower. Yeah. Because look, look how close they are to one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they are quite close. But yes, uh, if you, okay, so, so you're imagining looking. I'm trying to look down into that yeah, little the, water valley. It's kind of nestled in there. It doesn't really have a nice view. But you're imagining um, that this water yeah, might have water, been higher. Yeah, you're you're right. Um, from up on the hill, this looked like a much steeper drop in the snow. Yeah. So yeah, it's just been a boring all river then. I guess I don't know, or maybe a lake. Maybe this whole thing was a lake. Maybe it was. Maybe they didn't need. Who knows why exactly they built it here? It's not because I mean the the other Elvish party spots that we saw weren't really necessarily beauty spots either. Um, one was the, the one had a pretty good view looking down yeah. into the river valley, and then we had the one tower overlooking the river, the one that had actually fallen into the river, of course. Um, the first one that we noticed of the ancient the most ancient Elvish constructions. This is clearly of that same time with the gold filigree and everything, and it does not look like the the newer elf buildings, nor like Duelant. Um Who's the statue? Uh, oh, that's the... Dude with mace? Yeah, dude with... Or scepter? Yeah. Or... Yeah, sure looks like a scepter. Is There's this one of the star... same ones we it's saw in Duelant? It's a star Duelant? shield. Yeah, I think so, but it I don't recognize the mace. Something on the brow. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Another it's king, a Numenorean I suppose. statue? 
Yeah. But you're right about the elves not necessarily putting their, their party places in the most naturally beautiful spots. And yes. it kind of implies that they already just have parties in natural spots. They just needed a place to do it out here. Right. They don't need a reason to party. They just need a location. Look at this torso of a distinctly human person. Yeah. So Round maybe ears. This was uh, sort of a star bound on his brow. Beard. Amish beard. Right. Nice little. <laughs> yeah, it's got that Abe Lincoln looking. Yeah, thing. and the nice little Abe Lincoln. Chin strap. Uh huh. So this implies that this was the party ambassadors to the humans, maybe? <laughs> well, it's like Duvaland, right? I mean, we saw these same but kinds the... of humans. And Nick, and here's the sword guy. Yeah, oh, there's the sword. Yeah, him I recognize. But the, the architecture is older. The architecture is older. But notice the stone of these statues is different. Yes. Later editions, perhaps, when the the second wave of men came out here. Ooh, so the men made the statues. Oh. Oh. Because by now the elves would have abandoned it, maybe. Yes. Oh, that would be interesting. Oh, Okay, so imagine that the elves... Imagine that the elves built this party rotunda, right? (laughs) And then they abandoned it, like they abandoned the others here. And... Then the men who built the temple, Uh right, came in here and found this place. And they look at this place and they're like, wow, look at this amazing thing, right? This amazing architecture. We can't do anything like this. Who could have built this? Clearly the ancient Numenorians, (laughs) right? I'm not saying it was Numenorians, but it was Numenorians. (laughs) Yeah. So they they attribute it to the ancient humans when, of course, it's not the ancient humans. So well, they there was make... a lot of elf human crossover in Numenor. Yeah, exactly. So there was. It's it's a chicken and the egg thing for them, I suppose. Um, Do elves build like humans, or humans build like elves? You know, right, that kind of thing. Right. Well, and especially if they're humans, you can imagine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> A little, so, you know. Yeah. So you're saying they stuck their sort of lordly garden gnomes all over the place to say, you know, welcome to new Numenor. Yeah, to like show respect for the... Now, okay, but here's the problem. So there are several problems like, with this theory. Several problems yeah. with this theory. Problem number one. These same statues are in Duoland. Yeah. So that explanation that, that, obviously can't explain those. I'm going to set that aside for a minute. And not talk about that. <laughs> the other problem I want to talk about first, and that is, you would think that later Third Age humans who would see a ruin and say, ah, beautiful Numenorian ruin, let us commemorate the great Numenorians of the past who probably built this place. Those such people, you would think, would be of Numenorian extraction. And if they were of Numenorean extraction, you would think that they would know that this was an elvish place, not a new... Like, that they would be still in close enough relationship with the elves who live just down the road to say, hey, guys, 
Was that a Numenorean place or an Elvish place? Well, this is more dwarfy country, to be fair. This this part. Of We're getting dwarf. to the boundary with the dwarves. So, and also, yeah. you know, we we have the distance scale issue with Lotro, obviously. So that just yeah. that because Duelon seems just down the road as we're riding our horses at Mach 3 across the landscape doesn't necessarily mean that the humans who came here would be popping down for long weekends in Duelon on the regular. So, But but no, you you got a point. It's like if they know anything about Numenor, that means implies they're either rangers of Athelion who know better or black Numenorians on their way up to Angmar. Right. Well, or again, I mean, I'm thinking these, I mean, these are clearly old statues, so they could have been, I mean, it still could have been the time when Arnor was still. Oh, yeah, but we haven't seen any evidence of any Arnorian stuff. No, we haven't. But again, I'm I'm just thinking chronologically, <laughs> it's in about that area. Yeah, we, we got some like proto-Arnorian stuff going on at the old temple. Potentially. Or again... Arnorian informed, but not Arnorian affiliated, right? So, True. like, you know, did the things that the Brelanders built during the time of the Kingdom of Arthedane, were they like, you know, architecturally, were they like the construction of the Dunedain? I would think they would be, right? So that's the kind yeah. of thing that I was suggesting with the temple. Um, so, so yeah, it's similar to how people thought that ziggurats were proof that Egyptians lived in South America, kind of thing. Sure, yeah, that same kind of thing. Um, okay, Interesting. so I have, I do have an explanation for these statues in in Duyland, Actually, oh, excellent, um, keen to hear it. Being that some elves, you know, first of all, this might not be the only old elven building they've uh, uh, decorated. Right. I could, I could definitely see. We were just talking about how elves like are interested in Bilbo's poetry because it's a different spin on a thing. Right. Um, it would make perfect sense for them to come across human statues and see some people that they too knew from legend, you know, namely, they would certainly um, respect the Numenorians. Yeah. Especially the, the high King. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and say, yeah, that's pretty cool. Let's, uh, I got a good place for that. And, uh, right. Let's, let's, uh, let's just, so, so that the, no one's here. Are, right. Your theory would There's be There's some that pedestals missing here. Right. <laughs> I see that they either they stole the statues and brought them uh, back borrowed. to Dylan like the Elgin marbles, or it's uh, called rescuing. They just rescued. <laughs> yeah, they rescued them from the ruins, or they copied them. Uh-huh. And they're like, hey, you know, statues like this would look great back in our city as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's possible. I like the elves rejoicing in human culture thing. Oh, and a comment that um, Doromarthen was making, because I think it seems almost certain. No, it, it must be that these burial mounds predate the party structure. Right? I mean, these have yeah. to have oh, been yeah. here prior to when the elves built. So when the elves built their party gazebo, they totally decided to uh, um, build their... Like, they came here like, oh, look at all these human burial grounds. Yeah, let's have parties here. Like, they clearly knew that. Um, like a gazebo in front of uh, Aysbury Hill or Stonehenge or something. Right. 
exactly right like like let's let's have let's have parties here let's like rent it out you know for 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 like people's you know uh yeah. wedding receptions and stuff um let's have the wedding at the stones you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's it i no i think that but anyway, as Tor Marston was saying, like, are, you know, are dead mortals like a tourist attraction? <laughs> you know, um, they, they yeah. <laughs> and as Tor Marston says, it is not without precedent that, you know, dead mortals are, are tourist attractions. I mean, you know, you mentioned the pyramids, for instance. Um, yeah. So, you know, like that kind of thing does occur. But no, I mean, so I, I can imagine the elves just being really fascinated by the burial mounds. And yeah. they wouldn't be squeamish about it. I mean, humans might say, yeah, um, you know, party venue in the middle of the graveyard. That's seriously creepy, people. But the elves wouldn't find it creepy. I, I have a feeling there's whole societies of elven scholars who sit there pondering what where men go when they die. Right. Right, exactly. They yeah, don't they, know anything about that. They might have. They might have. Uh, them, so. for, for all we know, they built this structure just in order to hold symposia on that subject uh, here. You know, in the midst of uh, of of the burial grounds. Uh, immortality is a long time to think about a lot of things, <laughs> and it also makes mortality really interesting. Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, like, like the life cycles of butterflies. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, we're just about done. Let me just kind of wander through here because there's... Ah, okay. I was just looking at, on the map at where we were. Torvast posted something about goth elves. I'm like, yeah. 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 Um, so I'm just... So that's Gondaman, right? That I'm looking at? Right uh, yes, that's, that's the yeah, Fortress yeah, of Gondaman. That's Gondaman. Okay, so we are quite close to Gondaman now. Uh-huh. All right. Um, so just trying to get my bearings and figure out our next plan here in this immensely architecturally rich. Whoa. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. So we've got something up to the north there, a very modern looking construction. And then we've Beautiful got Gondaman to the south, which yep. very architecturally similar. Gondaman looks older. They got the same red peaks, though. I do. The sun's not quite on it like it is on this yeah, guy, maybe so it's, it's a little just hard a, to tell. Maybe it's just that we're seeing it from the north and therefore in the shadow. Um, um, yeah, fire swans, exactly. Uh, that, that, that gazebo was a field research center uh, for uh, uh, for elvish scholars of mortality. Yeah, I like it. That's, that's... Day 5002, still <laughs> dead. Still dead. <laughs> <laughs> but we're just going to keep checking, you know, because, uh, yes, exactly. Because there's, you know, there's two different schools of thought. You know, one is like, you know, sooner or later, these humans, they have to like re-embody, right? They're in, clearly, they're, you know, their fan is going to come back and make a new Roa sooner or later, right? So if we keep watching, maybe we can catch it in the act. <laughs> or get more involved somehow. Day 3005, poked with stick. <laughs> Yeah, Nothing experiments happened. are there? Do they need helping along? You know, is this is this? Yeah, no, that's. Well, uh... it's taking a Frankensteinian route here, isn't it? <laughs> I I love that. That's great. Yeah, field research is, I'm sure, what was happening. Okay, um, so let's see. Let's start 
we might as well start with Gondaman, but of course, in starting with Gondaman, like I'm looking south here and I'm seeing something past Gondaman, a structure past Gondaman there that we haven't looked at. Um, maybe it's just a pillar by the road, but I think we need to go back to the road and follow the road up so that we can okay. check around. Cause we didn't even look at Thras with Thrasy's his name, Thrasy's Lodge. Um, oh, yeah. We kind of skipped that because we were we were on the river side of the road, and then we went up around. So we never kind of did, uh, uh, like basically from Duoland, um, you know, to the west of the road and up that side. So we'll we'll look at that, and then and then probably end up at Gondaman next time here and see what we think about that, and then we can come back and explore this place up here in the north. And carry on as we're clearly entering dwarvish territory uh, oh, yeah. at this at this uh, at this stage. So, yeah. All right, sounds good. Cool, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody. And uh, yeah, the Elvish Field Research on Mortality. This is my favorite idea we've had for a long time in uh, in uh, in our uh, our our field trips. Uh, so, thanks for joining me on the field trip, and we will be back again next week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for joining me on this epic exploration of The Lord of the Rings and of Standing Stone's video adaptation of Tolkien's story. If you are having even half the fun I'm having on this journey, I hope you will consider supporting the project by donating at signumuniversity.org fund.